practitioner to touch that person. The fourth most famous person that I've ever met in my life was Jesus Christ. He touched my life. I was able to reach out by faith and touch him. And in that moment, my life was changed drastically and forever. Famous people on the earth have influenced and and touched my life in, in sweet ways, treasurable ways, memorable ways. But when I met Jesus and he touched my life, I was never the same again from that very moment. That's what happens when you touch Jesus, when you literally take a few moments, and of course, during this time of pandemic crisis, uh, this is a, the order of the day, is social distancing, and so we're not touching, we're not shaking hands, we're not hugging necks, and I thought how appropriate it is to, on this Easter Sunday to talk about touching Jesus. It's an Easter message that's important because touch has been described as the act of getting close making contact. Now, at our drive-through prayer service the other night, I I saw all the different cars coming in. There were well over 100 plus cars that were with us in the parking lot and and we were excited about everyone being together and I wanted so desperately to just hug or to shake hands and couldn't do that, of course, so I got the crazy idea that I would just walk car to car and I started hugging the grills of the cars. People laughed and thought I was ridiculous and I probably was but I was making contact with you. Telling you there's something that happens when we make contact. And today I wanna talk about making contact with Jesus. There's a lot of folks who know about him, they read about him, they've heard about him. And in one way or another, they've tried to even touch him, but it's those that genuinely press through the crowd that get close enough that can by faith really, really touch him. Their lives are changed transformed forever. There are different types of touch. There's a mother's touch. There's the touch of love, a touch of hate. There's a touch of elegance and class. There's a touch of abuse. There's a tender touch. There's a touch of terror. There are all kinds of touch. All around the history of the very first Easter, I want to talk about a few of those touches, those people who touched Jesus many who touched him. I can't even imagine how amazing that would have been to have been in his presence, to be right where he was and and to have touched him, to literally reached out and grabbed hold of him, embraced him or listened to him or looked into his eyes. I I can't even imagine it. As as I've mentioned a couple of times, I was in Israel in December. One of the things that ministered to me the most while I was there was that everywhere I went, I would imagine was Jesus standing here or did he walk here or did he touch this wall or what was his, his idea or what did he think of where we were and what was he looking at? What was his view as I stood on the Mount of Olives or as I stood at the church at Cana where the first miracle took place, I envisioned Jesus place standing there and making the miracle happen. I walked through the Garden of Gethsemane and looked at the olive trees that were 3,000 plus years old, knowing that those trees witnessed Jesus there in that night where he prayed the most important prayer in all of history. And then I imagined him at the empty garden tomb. You know, and amazingly, ironically enough, Gary, he was, it was nighttime, the tomb was lit up, 
It was pouring the rain. And as I was standing there, one of the things that I thought about was you singing, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Oh, it causes me to tremble, tremble. Were you there? When they crucified my Lord. I stood in the pouring rain waiting to get in to that tomb. And I thought Jesus was here. He was here. As I put my hands on the wall as we walked in, I thought he might have placed his hand right here when he walked out. Touching Jesus, God, in human skin. How I would have loved, how I would love now to be able to embrace the Lord. And I will one day very soon. But what an amazing thing to be able to do. Although many who touched him didn't have good intentions, there were many who touched Jesus that weren't working for his good. So many others wanted what he had to offer and knew he was the son of God and wanted that embrace. But every, in every instance, in every case, whether for good or for bad, those who touched Jesus, their lives were never the same again. And that's the important thing to remember this morning. No one ever touches Jesus and walks away the same. I remember in, when I was on a, a mission trip and we were in this beautiful place and I had felt and sensed the presence of God so much and I didn't understand why he was teaching me something about reverence and I knew that the Lord was so close and I was actually emotional and weeping as I felt his presence inside this beautiful church. And as I was walking around, I remember at one point, I, I thought, Lord, why do I feel you so strong? I sense and feel your presence so, I don't know if you've been in that kind of place where you've fallen so into a deep presence of the Lord. You've been in a time or a season of prayer where you have felt him so strong that I was there. And in this moment, all I could think about was how close he felt. And I said, Lord, you feel so close to me. He said, I am so close to you right now that you could reach out and touch me. And I don't know what you would have done, but in that moment, I closed my eyes and I reached out my hands. And I just tried to feel him. Touching Jesus. He wants you to know him. He desires for you to know him. So many people scrambling around in their lives trying to find the answers. Is God real? Is he there? God wants you to know him. He wants you to sense his presence. He wants you to know his touch more than you do. It's the touch of faith that will bring him close to you today. The touch of faith. To reach out and touch Jesus, no one, as I said, could ever be the same again. And as I mentioned, I want to look at just for the next few minutes at some of the people that had touched Jesus in Scripture during that first Easter. 
The first person to touch Jesus in the historical events of Easter was one of the 12. It was one of those that were closest to Jesus. It was a man named Judas. Judas invited to be a part of the 12 disciples. Jesus made him a treasurer, but Judas never really was all in. He never really believed. Oh, he was loyal to Jesus when the times were good. But it was a different story when he didn't agree or when the crowd turned cold. Judas is known down through history as the disciple who betrayed Jesus. He was sold out. Jesus was sold out by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Judas agreed that he would reveal who Jesus was to the arresting authorities. They were all out to kill Jesus, and Judas was the one who betrayed him. As Judas made his way into the garden, the arresting officers were with him. He told the authorities, he said, I'll give you a sign to identify Jesus. And the sign that he gave to them was, he said, I will give him a kiss. Here's what the scripture says, Matthew 26 and 48. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and he kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Judas touched Jesus. What a loser. His story could have been so different. He could have went down in history as one of the 12, one of the loyal disciples of Christ, but no, he had ulterior motives. He had different agendas. He had wrestling matches within himself he didn't take care of. He never fully believed. It's a dangerous thing to be half in and half out. Lukewarm, as the Bible says, the Bible instructs us that because we're lukewarm, we're vomited out of the mouth of God and since rejected because you can't ever find your way to freedom. You can't find your way to liberty in lukewarmness. Half in, half out, no matter what you're living or doing today, you can't live on that fence. You can't live on that halfway line. You've got to make a decision for Christ one way or the other. He'd rather you were cold because then you could at least be reached. You know the trouble that you're in to be somewhere in the middle where you a follower half the time and a follower not most of the time. That's a dangerous place to be and this is where Judas was. But something took place the moment that Judas walked into that garden, he, the money jangling in his pocket as he stepped up to the master, hail, master, and he reached up and kissed him, touched God. And in that moment, something took place inside of him. You say, how do you know that? Scripture tells us that something happened. You see, I said it earlier, you can't touch Jesus and be the same. It's impossible. Listen to what the Scripture says in chapter 27 of Matthew. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. Or in other words, that's your problem. 
says, and he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went, hanged himself. I believe it was the kiss. I believe it was the moment he reached up and kissed the master. The identifier, the sign, the betrayal, but the touch. It was the touch. The moment he touched Jesus, something took place inside of him. He couldn't live with himself. Oh, I wish that he had fallen on his knees, cried out for mercy, repented of his sins to God. Instead, it says he repented to himself. He kept it inside. He just, he, he was terrified. He, he was beside himself with emotion, but he never took it further. He never realized what could have happened had he turned and sought mercy, but he didn't. He repented to himself, took matters into his own self. He took it upon himself to think it through. He tried to return the 30 pieces of silver. He tried to solve the issue on his own, but that wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to cut it. He didn't feel the peace. He didn't feel the sense. He, he touched the master and he, he was miserable. He was terrified. He, he didn't understand how to get rid of that horror inside of him and he couldn't. So he hung himself. And now he goes down in history as the one who betrayed the master. The second people to touch Jesus were the guards after Jesus was arrested, convicted of a capital offense that he was completely innocent of, the guards were the next ones who grabbed hold of him, touched him, grabbed the arms, the body of Jesus himself. They surrounded him with a touch of physical abuse. Luke chapter 22 and verse 63. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him and then struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote you? Many others and many other blasphemous things they spoke against him. Can you imagine standing in front of God, standing in front of the most powerful, the most famous, the most unbelievable person in all of the universe and mocking him, making fun of him. They blindfolded him. They punched him. They asked him, who hit you? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, they stood right there touching him. It didn't make them better, it made them bitter. It made them more evil, more wicked. They were not the same. Their bitterness turned to rage and mockery. They made fun of the Son of God. He could have shut them down in a second. The Bible tells us he could have called 10,000 angels to come to his rescue, but he didn't. He took it because Jesus was on mission. He was on mission from heaven. He had an assignment, a task that he had to complete. And even though these men were touching the Son of God, even though they were manhandling him, even though they were mocking him and punching him and making fun of him, he took it. They were so close to God in that moment. They were looking at him, touching him, hurting him. Touching Jesus will change you. In their case, it made them bitter. And I've met many people who have known the touch of Jesus because of their own 
evil because of their own way, wanting to go their own way, do their own thing, they become some of the most bitter people I've ever known in all of my life. But touching Jesus, you cannot ever be the same. The next part of Jesus' journey brings us to the city gate. The third group of people that were there to touch our God was the Roman executioners. You see, hey, they didn't care whether he was innocent or guilty. They had a job to do. It was no concern to them why he was there. They just were getting paid to execute. They were getting paid to do their job. So by the time they first touched Jesus, he was already beaten down. He could hardly stand up. He'd already been beaten and marred by the, by the first soldiers. And so they followed through on their job. They followed through on the protocol. They touched Jesus, all right. They stripped him of his clothes. They laid him down on the cross. When they laid him on that cross, they touched him. They looked into his eyes. The son of God. Covered in blood. They laid him on that cross. One holds him down while the other looks for the soft spot in his wrist. They nail the spike into him. One hand, then the other, then his feet. And they turn and they lift up that cross and they had dug a hole and they dropped the cross down into that hole. And there the son of God with ripped flesh marred flesh as he looks down at them through the blood they're looking at his eyes they've touched him they've held him down they've been there with him they could never be the same again never luke 23 and 33 see hung there between two criminals and when they were come to this place the place which is called calvary there they crucified him and the male factors one on the right and on the left then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, gambled away his clothes. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen one of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar to drink. And saying, if he's the king of the Jews, why don't he save himself? They touched Jesus. They touched Jesus. What did they feel as they held Jesus down? Was there supernatural power? Was there the glory of God coming through his skin, the sweat, the blood? Was there something else supernatural coming through there? When they looked into his eyes laying there in front of that nailed cross, nailing him to the cross, did their touch do anything to them? What kind of power penetrated their hands as they held him down? And what did they really see when they looked into his eyes? And what what do we have to say about them today? Because it was our sin, their sin, but ours also, that was holding him down. We can't always look at those who touched him so in an abusive way and blame them and be upset or angry at them because 
He was there for us. He took my sin that day, your sin that day. Our sins were nailed with him to that cross. They were just doing their job, but it was all the sin of the world that literally crucified him. But that touch, they couldn't have touched him and been the same. I'm holding to my argument this morning. You can't touch Jesus and be the same again. Luke chapter 23, verse 44, look what it says. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. And then verse 47 is our clue. It shows us what took place with those soldiers So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Touching Jesus, everything changed for this Roman guard. Can you picture this? Can you see in your mind's eye as he's part of unnailing the body of Jesus from that cross as they carry him to the garden tomb, not that far away, washing and wrapping in grave linens, those that came to take care of him. Can you imagine the sadness? The Bible says there were those standing, beholding, watching there, everything, the teacher, the friend, the savior, the Messiah, burying their hope in that tomb that night, even though they heard him say that to be resurrected in three days. By this hour, they're giving up all hope. They, don't expect a whole lot to happen. They are talking to one another. He's gone, he's dead, he's he's not coming back. But listen to me, that's why we're celebrating like we are today, because I've got great news for you. Yes, they killed him. Yes, he gave his life on that cross. Yes, they touched him. And everyone who touched Jesus up to that cross experience, they all were changed drastically. But let me clue you in on what took place. Because on day three, he rose again. On day three, God gave the greatest miracle to the entire earth. You see, it was not just a a miracle uh, that he changed the water to wine or that he healed the sick or even raised up his friend Lazarus from the dead. No, this was God dying on the cross, but God then resurrecting his own life and doing this doing this for us, the great mission, the glorious, wonderful tasks of heaven, the assignment he was given to bring redemption to you and I. This was the greatest moment in history. Jesus came roaring like a lion from the depths of death, hell, and the grave to reclaim his earthly body. This, the greatest miracle in all of history, God dying and resurrecting himself. Wow, the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at work. Jesus was now living proof, living, living proof that he was the Son of God. Now his death on the cross would save people from their sins. Now his death on the cross would mean eternal life. He would give his life for everyone who would believe that he was the son of God. There is the touch of faith. 
That's the touch of faith I'm talking about. Just believe. Stop with the argument. Stop with the wrestling match. Stop with all the debating. Look up into the heavens. See the stars at night. See the oceans and the mountains and the beauty in a baby's face and say, I believe. The next person to touch Jesus was Mary. John 20 and verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned. said, Rabbi, which is to say teacher. She grabbed hold of him. You say, how do you know that? She grabbed hold of him. She touched him. She embraced him. She held on to him. She wouldn't let go. How do you know, pastor? Because verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Mary didn't go to the tomb that day for looking for Jesus to be alive. She went thinking he was dead. She found him missing, assumed there was foul play, blamed the gardener that was standing by and in her tears, her blurred vision, she couldn't see him. She couldn't recognize him until... He called her by name, Mary. Soon as he called her name, she knew because she had known the touch of Jesus. As soon as she heard him call her name, she knew it was the Messiah. She knew it was the one who delivered her. She knew it was the one who had given freedom and forgiveness to her. When she turned, she hugged the life out of him. He was like, Mary, Mary, come on, stop. Stop clinging to me. I love that verse of scripture. Practice a little social distancing, Mary. I've not yet ascended to my father. She couldn't help herself. I know how she felt. I know how she felt. It's kind of a joke around here that I always talk about July 2nd, 1981, Harry Arena. But you see, that was the night that I knew in my heart But the gardener was Jesus. That was the night that I knew the tomb was empty. That was the night in my life. I'd been in and out of church. I'd heard a lot about him. I'd seen him from a distance. But that night, that's when I believed. That's when I cried out, 
Jesus. And he called my name. That was the night I touched Jesus. Touched him by faith. Knew him for myself. That was the night that my life changed and I have never been the same. I listen to the arguments. I listen to the debates. I see people who are wrestling in their hearts and minds about whether he's real or whether he's not. I, I look at them and I don't understand. I can't comprehend because I met him. I've touched him. He's touched my life and I know that he's the Messiah. I know he's Jesus. And I know that my life will never be the same. I'm not alone. I'm never forsaken. I have been forgiven. I've got joy in my life and in my heart and peace. No matter what I go through, the pandemic crisis doesn't move me. It doesn't shake me because I know my Redeemer lives. The power of God. Oh, what a Savior. Wonderful Jesus. Death could not hold him. You are victorious. Praise to the risen King. Oh, what a Savior. Wonderful Jesus. As we get ready to pray in just a moment, there was one more person who touched Jesus at Easter, that first go-around. It was from our text that we read at the very beginning of the service. It was Thomas. Thomas, it wasn't that he didn't want to believe. He just needed evidence. And how many of you out there, you spend your whole life chasing down the evidence. You, you want God to prove himself to you. When he already has, he did more than any other human has ever done on this earth to show himself as the son of God. He came, he lived, he died. The records prove it. History shows it. I've been to the garden tomb. I've been to Calvary, to Golgotha in Israel. I've been, I've walked the streets of Jerusalem. I've stood on top of the Mount of Olives. I've seen where he was and where he is coming back. And I know that my Savior, know that my Redeemer lives. But we read that Jesus, and I love this about the story, and this is why I want to end with Thomas, because you see, Jesus always kind of meets us where we are. He comes to where you are. And he appeared to the disciples again, making sure Thomas was there. And he went on, I would think he was on mission. When he walked into the room, number one, it says he didn't even come through the door. He just walked into the room, just showed up in the midst. How cool is that? Jesus rocks. And as he stood there, it says, Peace to you, he says to them. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. And look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it onto my side. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He knew, he knew, he got his evidence. He got his evidence, but Jesus said something to him so important, and I'm sure it stung him. Even though Jesus went to that extreme to reveal himself to him, and he did it lovingly, kindly, mercifully, but Jesus said something I'm gonna leave with you. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those 
people have not seen and yet have believed. That's me. That's you. That's us generations down the line. I, I didn't get to witness him walking the streets of Jerusalem. I, I've been to the Sea of Galilee and got on a boat, but I haven't been on a boat where Jesus was preaching. I wasn't there when he raised 12 baskets of food from a little boy's lunch. I, I wasn't there when he called Lazarus' name to come out of the tomb. I, I wasn't there. But I believe and I've touched him. My soul is meant been ministered to by him and he's touched my life. It's called the touch of faith. It's called the touch of faith. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you could touch Jesus today, what would your touch be? Would it be that touch of faith, that touch of life? Would it be the touch of betrayal, touch of abuse, touch of mockery, make fun? How have you touched Jesus? How have you been part of the story in 2020? You can change your story. You don't have to be like the guards or like Judas. You could be like that centurion. Surely this was a man of righteousness. Or you could be like Mary, Rabbi, teacher, or Thomas. I believe my Lord, my God. What's your touch gonna be today? I'm challenging you in this prayer in just a few moments to the touch of faith, to believe. It'll bring such peace to your heart. It'll bring direction to your life. It'll bring guidance to all that we're going through as a country. You'll have the peace that, that I have that others have. Trust in Jesus. Believe in him. No greater day than on Easter Sunday, 2020. Trust in the Lord. I used to always say, Jesus who died and rose from the dead. But I've added something since I've been over to Israel. I, I say, Jesus who came to the earth, who died on the cross, and rose from the dead and walked out of the tomb. He walked out of the tomb. And because the song we sang earlier, it says, if you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. That's awesome. If you walked out of the grave, Jesus, if you walked out, I'm behind you. I'm coming too. I'm gonna know eternal life. I'm gonna walk on streets of gold. I'm gonna live forever and ever in eternity with God. I'm choosing to believe. Live in despair and gloom if you want. Live in darkness and evil. You already know it hasn't given you the answers you need. But a moment in his presence and I'm changed forever. You can be changed too. I'm going to pray with you right now. A prayer for Christians. It's a prayer of reconciliation. It's a prayer of renewal. It's a prayer of revival. Hey, when we get through this coronavirus threat and we get back to the house of God, man, it ought to be that we come ready for church. 
It ought to be that we come on fire, full of the power of God in our lives. It ought to be that we'll never take for granted again a time when the doors are open and we're not there. You'll gather your family together, get them ready and get them in that car and get them to the house of God. We'll be together and we'll worship together and oh, what a revival. What an outpouring of the Spirit of God when we all get to be together again. We're gonna pray for that renewal in us, but then we're also gonna pray for those who may be watching all around the entire world who may not know Jesus for yourself, you haven't touched him with faith. You haven't believed. It's time for you to answer the question, the number one question of your entire life. The greatest miracle in history was when Jesus resurrected. The greatest miracle that comes from that is your life changing on a dime. Your life changing right here, right now, today at 1240 on this Easter Sunday morning. We're gonna pray right now. And if you need Jesus in your life, I want you to pray a prayer with me right where you are. Right where you are. If you believe in your heart, the Bible says, and you confess him with your mouth, with your life, then you are a child of God just as good as any preacher, any minister, any missionary on the face of the earth. That's how simple it is. He did all the hard work. He loves you that much for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that's for you today so as we pray pray with me pray with me right now to accept Jesus in your life all across the network let's all pray together right there in your house father mom grab the kids let's all pray together you say everyone's in my house, they're Christians. Let's pray together for the world. Let's pray together for the unsaved around us. Let's just pray together in unity all across the world right now. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you're the son of God. That you died on the cross. That you rose from the dead. And you walked out of the tomb. Be Lord of my life. I believe you in my heart. I'm ready to confess you with my life. Be my strength. Help me to live victoriously till you come for me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm in the family of God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. I love you so much. We love you so much. Singer's going to come back and take us out with a song. But happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. I can't wait until we're all back together again. In the meantime, let us know what we can pray for. Let us know how we can serve you. Let us know how we can continue to pastor you. Pray for the Flannery family as we do her service this week. That precious saint of God. She is standing in the presence of Jesus, but her family's hurting. Let's pray for them. And we're praying for you, every one of you. Let us know what we can do. God bless you today. He Happy Easter.
Oh